What's up, kids? Welcome to Poolside Chats with Dom and Chris, the show where we talk about everything from music production to the spiritual side of music creation. I am Chris. And I am Dom. And here we go. You want to lead us in? (laughs) Not necessarily. (laughs) Well, I'll lead us in then. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Poolside Chats with Chris and Dom. I, of course, am Chris. And I'm Dom. And we are here to talk today about sound design. Mm, Sound design. Love me some sound design. What are your thoughts? Initial thoughts, Dom. What is the first thought, the first phrase, the first image that comes into your mind when you hear the word sound design? Utter importance. Mm, That it is. That it is. Yeah, I personally... um, always understood the importance of sound design, but never really took it very serious. Um, I've owned several analog synths. I have more VST synths than I could shake a stick at. And learning the parameters and the functionality and the differences between between like FM synthesis and wavetable synthesis and, you know, the different kinds of synthesizers uh, to me always seem very challenging. Like I couldn't really wrap my head around oscillators and formants and modulation effects and stuff like that. Like I got it, but when I got down to sitting in front of the synth, I always felt like it was a little over my head. So I think I relied on presets for a long time, never really understood synthesis. So now I'm getting really deep in synthesis and I'm really enjoying it. I mean, what is, uh, tell us a little bit about your history or tell me about your history. I know you use a lot of analog stuff. Like you like that tone. It fits really well with your genre. Like what, what are your thoughts on your initial thoughts on sound design and how it plays a role in your productions? Um, I don't know how much it's just kind of always happening. Yeah. I just consider everything kind of to be sound design. Like True. Even certain EQ moves are sound design, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, tone, different tones of compressors can be sound designs. Uh, right. But, yeah, I mean, I started in the box, you know? That's where I learned how what's, like, Silent is an amazing mm-hmm. synth to learn how to just... It's really simple, and it's laid out like an analog synth. Right. It has oscillators. It's not FM. It's a... It's a normal synth. I forget what the normal subtractive maybe um, additive probably. One yeah, of the two. I can't remember. Yeah. I don't, I'm not I don't, good on I'm the. Not, neither am I. Yeah, I'm not yeah. good on the jargon. But yeah. all I know is that it's it's based off of what analog synths are based off of, which just are all surrounding oscillators. Right. And <clears throat> FM. And if there's a like an analog looking FM synth, it's mm-hmm. digital. Right. You know, it's right. it's I think it has digital oscillators and stuff. But that's yeah. Um, but I started with Silent. Nice. And then also had Zebra 2 and then Omnisphere. And those are the three I was using for a while. Mm. And nothing. I think I, I've really only, I've put out one song that I still have up anywhere that's all 100% in the box. And yeah. Do you like it? Sound design wise, are you happy with uh, the yeah, synth I think choices? It, yeah. I yeah. think it, it's a very kitschy song. I think it came together really nice for what it is. Mm, nice. Yeah. Sounded really good. Nice. Um, yeah, just it's fun, fun to listen to, just to hear what I did. Yeah, a few years ago. Yeah, for sure. So you've kind of graduated over to the analog realm yeah. these days. Um, what are you using? What do you like? And why? Why did so you jump my, ship? Essentially, not to say you're not using the digital one, because, just to say you're using more analog. Yeah, I like to keep things simple. Yeah, and when you're working with analog gear, there's no excuses. I mean, there's an excuse for not 
getting super complicated right because you can't do like you'll probably talk about with serum how you can adjust everything mm -hmm. and you're only restricted to whatever the options are on the analog synth and you can daisy chain things and you can use the uh the all the um oh, i forget what they're called but you could there's a bunch of different like voltage connectors in the back of analog synths where mm -hmm. like think more modular synths like you can do that with keyboard analog synths as well right. but um I generally just keep it pretty simple and just go through however many presets are on the synth and just adjust things. Nice. You know, because that's how I was doing it in the digital world. I wasn't ever getting too crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And what's, I, what's your analog synth of choice? What do you, um, you lean for? For low end, I really like the Arturia Mini Brute. Hmm. That's it's on the. That's where I got the the baseline for the current track I'm working on. Nice. And it's gonna probably be my staple for a while for low end. Nice. And then the uh, Roland Juno 106. Hmm. Juno's um, are great. For uh, just everything else, basically. Yeah. Just any leads. And um, also have a... Uh, Korg reissued the ARP 2600. Hmm. And uh, sounds amazing. Yeah, I bet. That's fun for leads, too. More funky. Yeah. And uh, got a old school... It's called an Esonic. Um, can't remember the number but it's just like an old 80s digital synth mm. and then also a uh, Yamaha DX7 which uh, it's kind of legendary hard, it's kind of hard to use though cuz yeah. it's really dated sounding yeah. it's yeah. fun though and uh, yeah he, I, I haven't used it on anything yet but i like the Sonic a lot nice and Sonic that's right and Sonic yeah nice about that Krumar you got i haven't used that on anything cuz it's <laughs> it's so uh some of the pots are all <laughs> they're pretty bad yeah yeah I, yeah, it'd be cool to get that fixed up. Yeah, that would be cool for us. But yeah, for sure, that's cool. <laughs> that's a nice collection. It does. It. Very lush, dude. Yeah, the piano sound on that. The thing is, is if I found a electric piano sound on the Juno, mm -hmm. it's a. I'm not even gonna say the patch number because it's all mine. Nice, but, <laughs> nice. Um, it's like I love it so much, and I'm gonna just use it. I'm using it on the track right now. Nice. And I love electric pianos. No, but it's like its own version of an electric piano, oh, right? Oh, that's cool. So it's, it's is amazing. it kind of roadsy? Very, but Very it's roadsy. yeah, but it's the what Juno's own version of it, right? And I'm like, it's really cool. Nice, I love it. Very cool. Yeah, analog's always like I really love the sound of analog. I sold all my analog since in the last two years. I had well, a, you didn't really have. Sorry to cut you off, no. but yeah you your um access was digital yeah i mean but not to get too tech like i have a couple of digital analog yeah. i call them digital analogs because right. they they sound different than plugins which are also digital right because they have all their own components still and their own chips right. that create sound right but um yeah you never actually had no. any 100 percent analog mm -mm. oscillator mm -mm. sense yeah no. your profit and your those were both. Yeah, because I had that the Axis and the Profit, and I, I liked them for what they were, but they were just screamingly digital, you know? And it's like, I didn't have anything to compare it to. You know, I was in the box for so long. Um, I got them for a good deal. So I was like, yeah. okay, they're really well-revered synths. Like, I'll, I'll throw them in. And I just didn't find myself, like... I think for me, it was a lack of control. Like I, you know, for me, I, I love to be simple, but I love the parameters. And that's why like, you know, I always found um, soft sense to be so usable just because everything can be automated. And with yeah. EDM, it's like, like the track I'm working on right now, uh, my first release, like I, 
the automation is the deal breaker in the song. Like I, I thought I was done with it. I sent it to an engineer that I'm going to be working with on the track. We're bringing a vocalist in. And, you know, he said, yeah, I could really use some automation. And as soon as he said, like, I knew that, but I was like, kind of like we talked about in the last podcast, I'm like, damn it. Like it takes so long to automate every parameter of the wavetables yeah. and LFOs. It matters and, so much. It matters though. so Once much. Once you do it, you're just oh like, wow, God. the tracks has movement and it sounds amazing. And it's just, it's so cool because like in like, pre-learning synthesis my go-to was like filter cutoffs and like you know which uh, never get old for me no they never get old no absolutely and i believe i, I have a ton, i still filter cutoffs are a yeah. big part of my workflow but just what you can do now with like like changing lfo speeds and automating wavetables and detuning and untuning and unisizing things and then spreading them out it's it's pretty cool even just a little bit like the unison on um serum like i know you put up a post on facebook asking what are some cool things to do with yeah. the unison or yeah and people are saying before drops and stuff which mm-hmm. this track doesn't necessarily have no. it has a little bit of a build-up but it's nothing like a big house track or no. you know yeah. big room track or something yeah but uh yeah but automation and all that like people go crazy with it but it can also be um really subtle in a pleasing way because mm-hmm. um i saw a tip this wasn't my own but this was also another thing I saw on Facebook somewhere. And um, someone takes, like on a silent, I know I would know how to do this really easy, but take the random mode on an LFO. A lot of LFOs have yep. like different waves you can use. So you got your square and your sign and stuff. So take the random one, usually looks like a bunch of squiggles mm-hmm. on the interface. Mm-hmm. And you assign that to the pitch, mm-hmm. but you do it really subtly. So you only bring up the gain on the LFO a tiny bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, it might be a mixer. Usually it's a gain, but um, then it just makes the pitch drift a tiny bit. And this is part of an analog sound. And so you can get things sounding a little bit more natural and out of the box if you want that sound. But it's just another tool. And you can use LFOs for this too. Uh, Well, just like I explained, you can use an LFO or you can do it manually um, and just do little adjustments with your mouse, you know, Mm -hmm. in real time just to subtly take one parameter and only adjust it a few numbers not like from the top of your automation lane to the bottom but right. just a little bit so your ears hearing something a little bit different but you don't really know what it is just right. just subtle things you know yeah no pitch is key pitch and i found that pitch wavetable position and the <clears throat> ratio like you were saying from random to linear to quarter note or whatever you have it set at like i like that you can like in serum you can grab the lfo and assign it to the pitch and then minimalize like the amount that it goes and have something expanding outward while the pitch is really finite within like a couple cents kind of thing well serum is a lot different than silent in that way where you have to draw in your own they have pre drawn lfos you can choose in serum yeah which which, uh you can choose like a pre-drawn square wave or a sine wave and stuff for you right but um you can also make your own just like on lfo tool they put the technology from lfo tool by expert records right into it and so it's not the same as an analog that like it's serum's not based off an analog synth it's like its own thing yeah yeah not at all like the interface that's what makes it so modern and awesome right yeah 
No, I think for it, it really depends on the style of music too. You know, the kind of music you make is more of an indie retroy kind of vibe. You know, which is like great because like the analog synths really go well. I tried a few on this track and the last track, and I just felt they just were too analog sounding. You tried you your know? digital. I tried my analog digital. Your- yeah, I tried. I tried <laughs> the virus, um, the only synth I still have, and I really just wanted it for pads and like lush things yeah. in the background. But even and then I w- went the next day, gave myself a break, went in with digital pads, and then just liked the digital pads better just because of the modulation. I could do. I yeah. found myself thinking, okay, if I get the analog on here, I'm going to need Sugar Bites Wow on this. I'm going to need a phaser on this. I'm going to need parallel compression on this. Nothing and wrong with that. No, nothing at all. <laughs> in fact, that sounds really great. But I think what as soon as it fit in the mix, it was just, it was too dark for the mix. You know, it was too, yeah. it just didn't fit the song. Mm-hmm. Like, Another song, it would sound really great, but I think that's what you have to do with sound design is like, you have to really be objective with yourself and say, okay, is this texture, like, even if the synth give you out a 3500 Moog Voyager, if the Moog Voyagers doesn't fit on the track, like, don't force it, you know, go to your $100 VST at that point. Yeah, I'm. that's the difference too, is you're trying to fit that into a, you have a lot of layers and they're a all lot. in the box. Yeah. And you're trying to fit this out of the box thing and you're, uh, you know, just not feeling it. Yeah. Cause it's just completely, it's a sore, sticking out like a sore thumb. Yeah. It's cause I'm generally starting with a synth, like playing in real time, analog mm-hmm. synth. And so mm-hmm. things just kind of fit that way. Totally. And it's almost the opposite with me where I have to be really careful trying to fit digital ones in. And then if I right. do, then I'm generally ended up running them through uh, some guitar pedals and stuff mm-hmm. so they fit better. So it's it's kind of your same situation, but in reverse. Yeah, yeah. To where it's like, I, I noticed the digital sticking out really mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. But it's I, cool. You're objective and focused yeah. enough to say, okay, this isn't working kind of thing, which is yeah. really what matters. Like use the tools that are best for the record, you know? Or just use what inspires you. Totally. Because we're talking today, like two of the artists that I've been listening to lately I think are amazing and they both are almost predominantly in the box mm-hmm. and I'm working predominantly out of the box right. and I just, I like them just as much as someone who, you know, it's, yeah. it's just, I recognize they're using tools that inspire them and they create great music. Right. And so it's too, I just enjoy listening to whoever uses the tool. They don't fake it. You know, they're not, they, I can tell they're not, they didn't sell themselves out just because they know someone else used something. They don't right. want to use it. Right. And so they're trying to use it. Right. You know, it's like, because there's a long time where Skrillex, you know, he's a big, massive boy. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> like yeah. Like forever. And FFM. Yeah. Like well, he's content. Well, just like a native yeah, instrument in instrument general. Stuff, yeah. But um, so I could, I know tons of people doing dubstep. Right. Saw that. And oh, yeah. He was, I did. Yeah. yeah and then no, got that. Sure. And then yeah. um, probably never really understood how to use it because I'm sure he was just a nerd about Guilty. it. Guilty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and just and just because they knew they heard what he was doing with right. it in the box. Exactly. And they try instead of trying to create their own path to do it with some right. other tool. No, for sure. Um, they just try to use something that they know have worked for this one guy who nerded out on it probably for hours oh, and my hours. God. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Because he's a master of those two sims. Yeah. He knows those like the back of his hand. Yeah, and I'm I've sure. heard inter- I've seen a red yeah, in, interviews, interviews with him talking with, about yeah, it. Yeah, and just being like, Yeah, I just use it because I know it so well. And yeah. there's certain sense that I just know really well now. Now. right and it doesn't matter i don't even need to say what they are because they're personal to me right you know yeah so no i agree it's funny how much we teeter in this game like i was sitting here you know this is the first time i sat at the desk in a while and actually to be honest the first time i've sat at a at a console style desk and actually produce something like i've only had this sterling modular set up with the hardware in front of me for probably about a year and a half 
And I haven't actually, when I was producing music, I didn't have a lot of hardware. I was using mostly just my keyboard and mouse. And it was really interesting having all these tools in front of me and not touching them, you know, like wanting to grab my API and be like, nope, just produce, bro. Just produce. And it was like, I had to have so much patience, but more than that, so much focus because the Bracasti was staring at me like, just put me on that snare. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm just producing. I'm just going to put a stock reverb on for right now, just so I don't get lost in my Bracasti for an hour and a half kind of thing. So it was like, it was cool because it taught me how to have more discipline, you know, at the production phase, knowing that I was going to go work with an engineer on this and actually collaborate for the first time on a mix, which is pretty exciting. But also, it made me explore in the box on a deeper level. I think um, a lot of like I know a lot of plugins really well, and I really went into a lot of companies plugins I never use, you know, stuff I've had on my computer for a year, even started demoing some UAD stuff just to like hear, okay, like what, why are people using this so much? And like, is this kind of cool? And it was so interesting because my mindset is still full on production phase. Like I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to go mix this with an engineer. I'm going to be at a desk. I'm going to have hardware in store. I kind of know what they have for hardware kind of thing at the studio. What do I need to do to the source audio to make it that much better before it gets to the studio? Because I don't want to have to like work on a sound when I get there. I want the sound to be there, the tone to be there, and we just make it enhanced, right? So it was really interesting for me because like, I've always used plugins in my production phase, but like not touching one piece of hardware and relying solely on in the box contour, it just really made me respect like the in the box workflow on a level that I probably have never had an appreciation for having hardware, you know? So it was a really cool experience. Yeah. And it's interesting because I, I've recently started enjoying being able to run analog sense direct, like tracking with hardware. That's cool. Because I can do that. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's awesome. I haven't done it too much yet. And, uh, it actually hasn't. Cause I started doing that after I did all my main analog stuff for this new, new, the, my track I'm working on. Yeah. And so I haven't actually been able to do that for a, a, like an actual track, but I've been just experimenting with it and stuff. And it's really cool. That is really so, cool. Um, that's just another yeah. difference, you know? So I don't have to look at it and be like, yeah. <laughs> I can just do it right away so it doesn't have to get another converter pass going in it. You That's know? so smart. Yeah. I, I remember when I was in my warehouse location a couple of years ago, that was like a big part of my workflow is I had the Trident pre's, the API pre's, the Neve pre's, like, and I would run all my synths through it. And it's like, that's why I was so kind of excited. Like you are right now with tracking your synths and me not using any hardware <laughs> at all. It's like... It just, it's the the process of music production and audio engineering and being a producer is like every day is a new frontier. You know, never would I thought I'd walk into a studio with tons of hardware and some amazing tools and and not want to touch any of them at all, but like not be bummed about that. Not like, oh, it's just disappointing. I can't use this or I don't want to get lost in this, but like to rediscover like other companies' products or dive deeper into like the digital realm and be listening to mixes on Spotify that I know were in the box and like trying to focus, okay, what did he do and how did he get that? And that's a really cool sound and the cool effect that I couldn't get with an analog compressor kind of thing. And it was just, it's cool to see like, just we talk about all the time, like evolution, you know, and it's like, it's, it's about taking a step back and like appreciating not only what you have, but that like in the digital realm and especially with a hybrid setup, when you can incorporate some analog into it, your options are always endless, like literally endless. And with EDM, it's so cool because there aren't like typical, like traditions to follow you know like with a like if you're in a rock band you know your typical thing is you're going to put an sm57 on a guitar cab you're probably going to put a room mic behind that and that's going to be like your main guitar tone with the lead synth 
shit, you can do whatever you want to it. You can put a reverse inverse reverb on it with a flanger and run it through like a low pass filter and put a like a delay on the top end. And call and, yourself Flume. Exactly. For <laughs> sure. No, right? But it's like, that's the cool thing is then you develop your own sound. But I like that there are no rules in EDM. You know, and I think that's the one thing that in the box stuff empowers people to do and why, because I want to talk about it in a minute, like why I'm starting to really enjoy Serum is that like... I guess it's almost, it's a blessing and a curse to have that much control, but it's almost like the bar has been risen so high now. Like in EDM, if you're going to have a good track, you have to put in a lot of time into the production because it's like all the automation, all the movement, all like the depth that isn't achieved with a preset. You've really got to get in there and tweak stuff. And if you're not willing to spend the time to do it, your track is going to come out flat and that just won't compete, you know? Yeah. It is depends obviously on who you're listening to. Sure. Because I mean, you're, you constantly reference Dylan Francis and Zed and yeah. some other people, especially yeah. Zed's earlier stuff. And yeah. Um, yeah, Dylan Francis too, you know, you, that's just like automation yeah. city. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, like obvious, you know, obvious. but it's yeah. like, so if you're trying to compete with those type of artists, then yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah. Cause I'll, I mean, I'll, I like some chiller, like just more song structure stuff, yeah. you know, as we we're listening before, which just cut off sweeps basically yeah. like very simple and it's just more song structure. So if you're listening to those big, yeah, name, yeah. Automation freaks. then yeah, you're going to need to do automation. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's a like Zed is like one of my biggest influences, obviously, you know that. And you know, what I love about Zed is not only is he a musician and a classically trained pianist, but it's like he writes songs. Granted, he has a team of writers helping him in a, a massive, you know, production crew, et cetera. But he does, you know, the bulk of the work, you know, he really does. And it's just like the guy can incorporate an electro vibe to pop music and make it really cool and his stuff you know the automation you really got to listen his tracks there's automation but it's like it's buried you know a lot of his layers are it's a deep performance you know there is a serious depth to it and i've always found that really appreciated because it's like he turned his rock and his indie and his piano training into becoming one of the most prolific you know edm frontliners writing real music you know kaigo is another example of another guy who's coming up who's writing real music dylan francis I wouldn't call it real no, music. No, it's sound design showcase. Exactly. That's that just what and I call fucking it. club bangers. It's, yeah, you know, it's they're like supposed beautiful. to rage. Yeah. You know, you're dropping Molly, you're having a couple drinks, you're going nuts in Vegas. Like that's where Dylan Francis is just, making money. You just appreciate different parts of it. You're totally. not listening to it because he has an awesome chorus, diverse, and no. Um, well, it's, you know, but so, for the most some part, songs, yeah, some songs, but like his you, more popular ones. It's obviously night and day between like the newest Zed track, you know, yeah, or God. Um, stay like stay. think of like yeah. stay by Zed right. versus you know the one uh, I can't remember the name of the song you always reference from Dylan Francis but the uh, the one with I know exactly what song you're talking about too I listen to it all the time because I think it's such a good mix like I really love the mix no but I totally agree I totally agree you listen to them for different things absolutely both of them well I mean they're both sound designed like it's just the way they're implementing it like Dylan Francis is just being like, look what I can do. You are not going to know how I did this type right, of thing. Right. Like Zed's more like, I'm just really good at making poppy shit and like making it just sound amazing, mm-hmm. but it's more accessible sounding. Right. Like I'm not like wondering, I'm, there's some things where I'm, I'm curious how he did it, but I don't think I would have to dive as deep into shit to like learn how to do it. No, you know? No. 
it's yeah. not super super complicated <laughs> yeah and it's like it's cool because like a guy like skrillex for instance like he made that whole growl synth kind of thing yeah. happen you know and it was kind of cool because last year he got uh hired by universal whoever to like record all the the monster noises for the transformer movie so it's like that was his always area of expertise you know making these jurassic sounding robot noises with valve filters and stuff like zapped into them so like with I thought it was interesting because Skrillex is like an interesting case study. I've been following him for a while because he grew up in rock bands playing guitar and stuff like that. He broke on a dubstep trying to create something unique and different, just going nuts with sound design. And then, you know, his brand kind of shifted. He got more hip hop influenced. And then like Diplo actually approached him and he, you know, said this in an article. He's like, I realized that my biggest competitor was Skrillex. And he's like, so I figured if you can't beat him, join him. So he's like, I walked up to Skrillex and offered him an opportunity to work together and collaborate versus competing with each other. And I'm like, that's so cool. You know, how honest is that? That two guys are like head to head top dogs in their, in their genres. And they came together to form Jack U and Jack U is kind of that tropical vibe and mixed in with the Diplo major yeah. laser style beats and stuff like that. But Skrillex still adds this growly synthesis to it on a, on a minor scale to keep kind of his branding alive. But it's like, that's so cool to see an artist evolve like that and cross genres and do different things. Like, I love the the Bangarang album. Like I'm not as a big a fan of the Jack U stuff. I think it's cool, but I just I'm I come from rock and like metal music. So for me, like that always has kind of a place in my heart. But I think it's really cool just to see how far sound design has come and like just some of these synths now, like they're just breathtakingly good. Like just the three-dimensionality is just really stellar. Like with the wavetables, like serum is what I want to talk about. Like what are your what are your thoughts on serum? Like or, I mean, or, or like in comparison to like I wanted to share a little bit about my thoughts on massive versus silent versus serum. Like if you could pick three cents that you're using in the box, like yeah. why are you using them? Like tell yeah. me the strengths of them. Um, I think serum would basically replace silent for me at this point. Mm -hmm. um, serum is the best. Yeah. It's the best one out there. I feel like if you took a poll, yeah. almost everyone, you can do almost everything. Um, yeah. So serum is on that list for sure. Yeah. Um, then Omnisphere. Mm just because i've just used it so long yeah it's just uh it's a sample based synth yeah um and then uh there's so many i haven't tried which is unfortunate because i you know once i went analog yep. i stopped buying software synths. but then it would be split between zebra 2 and um silent mm. i haven't really used that many so it's not hard for me to make a list yeah if i could have four it'd be those four because that's really all i've ever those used are a solid four yeah. i've never heard the uhe stuff personally it's, i mean i've heard great it's things. amazing i've heard great things yeah. yeah they're they're complicated like the interfaces kind of freak me out a little bit there's a lot of buttons and knobs all over yes them. and i that to me like that's why i never really learned massive like i would say serum number one without a doubt massive two silent three or maybe you flip flop and, and call silent two and then massive yeah. three like for me like serum gives me the the modulation the depth massive is like my aggressive synth when i want something dirty and in your face and really just like you know fucked up kind of sounding like massive has that grainy quality to it and then silent is great for leads and it's great yeah. for cleaner things that have a percussive yeah. their arpeggios awesome you know the voicings are really good um so I use all three and on the production I'm working on now, it was probably 60% serum, 20% massive, 20% silence. So I'll always use all three synths in conduction. But like, like with massive, 
never want to learn it. Like I'm never going to. Like I understand the premises, but just it's not an intuitive interface. I don't look at it and envision what I want to happen. Silent, like I know it well enough to I'm like, okay, I get it. I can tweak things I want and it's good, but it feels like a little limited in terms of what I can do with it modulation wise. But Serum is like this is the first synth I've actually taken stuff to learn. I've I've bought a couple courses on Serum now. Like I've I've been reading a ton of shit, watching every YouTube video I can because it's like I just feel like it has the most depth and because you can assign like one LFO to like 10 things simultaneously, yeah. I mean, what you can do with it, there's an infinite amount of, literally an infinite yeah. amount of possibilities that you can design with it. And I just feel like the, for, for EDM especially, it's all about atmosphere and all about depth and like massive doesn't give me depth unless I throw 10 plugins on after the chain. Silent doesn't give me depth. It gives me aggression, a good mono image, like good width, stuff like that. But with Serum, I feel like without adding like chorusing and delay and stuff like that, I can get like really close to the sound I want just within Serum alone. Well, how much are you messing with the effects inside of Serum? Mm, pretty heavily. Like, cause that's, I mean, that's why, cause they have so many effects. That's true. Well, yep. I guess I would say the effects are good then. Yeah. Like, I feel like I can go to the serum flanger or the serum multiband compressor, which I feel is really close to the ot one too, which is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. And I won't need to then go strap like a fab filter multiband compressor on after. Like, I feel like it does a good job and I feel like it, the plugins within the synth are like tuned to the synth too. Like the distortion is a good algorithm for the synth. You know, it's like a flattering setting kind well, of thing. Well, there's a few of them. There are. Yeah. yeah. But you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I, you, the, I guess the warning I would give to serum users is to watch out for that hyper dimension oh. uh, part. I always take that off. Yeah. I yeah. just never start if I hear that on because it just makes things sound too good. And yeah. then it rarely sums to mono nicely. Right. If you care about that. But, um, yeah, so let's I, talk about that for a minute. That's actually a really good point. What What are your thoughts on on mono compatibility in um, regards to sound design? I mean, if not it's my, mixing, like yeah, obviously it, it is important I, as it to get to the mixing. But like, what do you do? Do you overly stereoize your sounds, or do you keep everything kind of mono e um, in the synths? I've I haven't really worked on that many finished tracks, so I'd say like. I'm usually keeping things pretty mono and just, hmm. I don't, there's different schools of thought. Like one of my idols, Tony Maserati and mixing. Yeah. Um, but this just stems into what I'm going to say is he, in his mixes, everything's mono, but he pans them in such a way where the track feels really balanced in stereo and feels really wide. Right. And it's, I've been trying to be, I used to just use plugins like stereo expansion and stuff and try to get things really wide with them. I still mm -hmm. use them for, sound design and getting things uh just bigger center image like yep. i use them subtly to just make them seem fuller and bigger mm -hmm. where you don't really know why they're like a little bit wider you know just yep. a little bit not as pinpointed in the center right but um yeah i'm trying to use more of like opposing different parts now on each side to get the the image and so like for instance just a not even EDM related, but like a cowbell on one side and then a hi-hat on the other. Right. So instead of having, like I'll still do wide snares that sound exactly the same on either side. You yeah. know, that's one of my favorite things to do. I just like that sound where the snare is wide. Yeah. And um, I usually just detune one side or a lot of snares are just wide anyways, right. a lot of samples. So right, that's not right. hard to do. No, not at but, all. Um, yeah. So, but if it's not the snare, I usually don't mind with that. Um, but 
yeah, with synths and stuff, like any like atmospheric things, I try to just not just throw a stereo expansion on it because it sounds like it's done really easily and it's too uniform, you know? Your ears are picking up the exact same thing on either right, side right. and it doesn't sound as cool. And it doesn't, I don't know, it's just not as much work was put into it. It kind of feels cheap to me. Yeah. It's a personal thing. Yeah. And uh, so I just try to get like, produce in a way where I'll have something to go on one side Mm -hmm. that can counterbalance with another. Mm -hmm. And it's okay. Like I really have been listening to this, how different producers use the stereo image. Um, And a lot of times, like it's okay to have the song lopsided for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like there's times like I'm always worried about that. I always need to balance things, but it's okay to have things leaning to one side or the other. And it's a lot of my favorite tracks have had that. And it's not, it's not bad. Yeah, you know, I I gain because I've my ear likes balance too. I think we all do. I'm yeah. like, okay, there's something on the right. I need to counter that with something on the left. But I think what really changed my approach to that was about a year ago when uh, Pharrell, uh, not Pharrell, it was Pharrell. Obviously, did it with Happy to a certain extent. But when when um, what's his name came out with uh, was it Robin Thicke? No, blurred lines. Yeah, that's, blurred lines. That's, yeah, that's it, yeah. Yeah, I have. That's my main. Yeah. So it yeah. was cool because like it was Pensado or somebody that said like like Tony did the mix I believe yes. Maserati no, and then I perfect think, example of what I'm talking about with Tony Maserati's use of stereo he's but good he's the one who chose where yeah. they're gonna go exactly yeah. yeah but it was cool because Pensado like I remember him it, I it was somebody up there in that caliber yeah. they said I didn't like the mix at first but he's like because I felt like my head was leaning to the left the whole time but then he's like then I realized like all the claps and the people talking are all on one side he's like then I realized how cool it was yeah and it was like it was interesting because it's like it's just different. You know, that's the only thing is like, do you think, okay, why is, why is this all the party? And that's what Dave was saying. He's like, why is the party over here? He's yeah. like, I want to be over there where the party is, but I'm over here. But he's like, it's kind of cool that I can see the party over there and it's not over here kind of thing. And I was that's like, that's a, a good way of saying it, man. That song obviously had all that. Uh, oh, they hub- had a party. No, I mean, they had that hubbub about it with stealing the Marvin Gaye track, right. like baseline or something. Right. But, uh, who regar- do- I mean, let's be real well, in music. Everything is, we don't a, have to uh, go down this. Yeah. But, okay. Yeah, we'll yeah, just say everything. Everybody is influenced yeah. by everybody. Let's yeah. just put it that way. It was kind of close. It was, <laughs> it was really influenced. It was damn like they probably, they. I mean, maybe but not consciously, cool. but yeah, whatever. Regardless, Anyways, that yeah. production is super deep. And what we're getting at is I, I know that mix very well. It's one of my reference That's a tracks. great mix. Me too. And it's yeah. uh, the center image is very prominent, yeah. but then it's super wide track and all the cowbells are on the right. Mm-hmm. And then all of uh, Pharrell's side little jabs where he's just going like, woo, and like doing a lot of his little ad libs mm-hmm. are on the left. And mm-hmm. that's where the party's at is mm-hmm. what he's talking about. Yeah. And, uh, but the center image is so strong that it's okay. Right. Like you can always come back to it. It'd right. be different if he'd mixed it in a way where it was just we- like everything was flat, you know, like the volume of the center channel was a lot, louder than the sides right and the sides were kind of like blurred and not nearly as shiny mm-hmm. you know and just it was just done masterfully you know it's just very well done right and it was just it's just a good testament of what i was talking about or that's exactly the track i was thinking of oh nice um, nice yeah where he was able to do that and he did it yeah 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 no that's that's a cool technique i i think dom is is right on the head here with the panning i, I really like that that you shared that i think for me that the panning definitely comes into a play but I, what I'm really digging for the first time that I never really had access to before, I, I could always do it in Serum and 
not in serum, but in massive insomnia, but not on level serum is like, like for me, I layer a lot. I mean, probably too much, but that's just my style. And who know people are either going to like it and they hate it in the next few years. I'll know, you know, when I release some music and stuff like that. But for me, I like the option of being able to like widen the detuned image. So it's like I can, and with serum, it's really cool. They have a blend knob. So what you can do is then let's say your, your middle image is here and then your wider image is like down here and then you could stretch it out and then you can increase the width and drop the middle or increase the middle yeah. and drop the width. It gives you those little bars to look at. Yeah. So it's super cool because I'm like, okay, what I'll do is I'll just expand it, the shit out of it, you know, go up like as many voices as I possibly can. Hear it like totally wavy and modulated, smash it back to the middle and then find a place where I feel like gives it to me. But it's like, it's not going to do what you said by, it's not a cowbell on the left and a shaker or something on the right. It's the same sound widen but the thing is like a couple things in the mix by doing that and then coupling that with the panning thing that gives you a really cool yeah. stereo image yeah definitely and i'm gonna have to clarify a little bit and i when i'm thinking of like width i'm thinking of the whole track as yeah. a whole yeah yeah and to get like my overall width of a track it's i don't like to use one thing it's more like the, the positioning of separate elements right right, right. um or effects are right. really, you know, yeah. nice to that. But of course, I'm going to have some super wide things. Like I said, I love my snares wide. Mm -hmm. um, my The music I'm working on at this moment is definitely more of like, it needs to be hard hitting up the middle, mm -hmm. like mono sound, mm -hmm. which just for this, because the bass is a, the interest point. Yeah. Um, but on that topic, like I would like to share... Um, and after you, if you have a situation like this where I, like, I think about my productions when I'm not producing and I know after working on them, things that I want to, I have, um, not experiments, but, uh, like problems that I want to solve. Mm -hmm. And I'll think about like, if I'm going, if I'm exercising or something, I'll like think like, how am I going to best achieve this? Or at least come with up some, up with some ideas right. of how I want to make something better to where I'm like envisioning my head. Right. And, uh, do you have any moments on your track where you're like, you know, you <laughs> want something to sound a certain way and you're thinking of like, you've tried certain things and it's just not working and you're just like, yeah, that's actually a great point. Um, I think we all struggle with that too. I think for me, like, I mean, I'm thinking of specific things you can share. Yeah. Um, yeah. In fact I did. Okay. So in, in the track, I got this track, it's called armor. And essentially what it is, is like, it's this very enchanting song. Like it's supposed to feel like you're looking into like, like a like a um like a crystal ball that is like this it's snow is falling and it's this really peaceful scene and stuff this like one? that yeah this one so like it's supposed to have that enchanting whimsically kind of vibe but also be very serene and like gripping so it's like i had this organ right and it's just this bump 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 bum, and it's like it's just a delay tail right but it cuts in in a transition when the organ that's it's only appearance it's one phrase it comes in transition and it just i needed it to like feel like the mix was falling into a vortex like it's all kind of flat and i wanted the mix and like feel like it was sucking down like a black hole and then i wanted it to pop back out and i couldn't figure out how to do it so like i had this organ and the organ delay tail like i put the delay tail on i'm like okay i'll put a delay tail on i'll ping pong it from side to side and then i'll have it end in the center and then i'll reverb the delay so the reverb then falls back into the center image it didn't do it it still felt flat so what I did is I went into Serum, I wrote a new layer with a synth that was 
like an organ sounding. It was more of an electric piano sound. And then I augmented the wavetable position and something else, I forget what, might have been the pitch to an LFO and stacked that in behind it. And then it gave me that image of depth, which was pretty cool. Sweet. That's, yeah, it's just what I what I did on the track. Yeah. yeah. It was just a case study of yeah. Yeah. something to do. Yeah. yeah, like I like I said on my track, my baseline's my interest point and the uh the higher um frequencies of it, so not even high because it's kind of like a rolled off fat bass sound, but mm-hmm. it's uh like I've tried to I try I want it to pop out a little bit more yeah. and be a little bit more modern sounding. And so I just was trying some EQs and they just weren't cutting it because the harmonics weren't there. It was like, I was just boosting and it started to sound brittle. Mm-hmm. Just the phase of the, it was using fab filter too, you mm-hmm. know, just as well, just to try to, to right. see what it would do. Right. But so I've been thinking of what I want to do. And this is something that I wish I d- took the time to do more, but instead of EQing, you can create kind of like a parallel EQ situation, but also get a lot of character out of it at the same time. So what I'm going to do is I've tried running this bass line through some guitar pedals and stuff, but the low end gets all janky and I love the way the low end mm-hmm. feels right now. Mm-hmm. And it just takes the clean low end and makes it nasty. Right. So I'm going to re go back and run the bass line through some stuff, but I'm going to take that distorted signal. It's because most of my, I have like a little guitar amp that I love called the big trees by audio kitchen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I so love I'm, that thing. Yeah, it's got like the 12 AX sevens like built into yeah, it. The I'm going to run the baseline yeah. through that, but then I'm going to band pass out the 800 to one K zone mm-hmm. from that. And then parallel it in just that zone. Right. So through. you're just big treeing the eight K or 800 well, to one K. Yeah, I don't know. I'll have to test it out, but I don't know if I'm going to only big trees. Like, I don't know if I'm going to band pass before or after I run it through it. I would do it after. Cause yeah. the harmonic distortion will be better. If yeah, you get the whole exactly. frequency. Yeah. That's what, it. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's my first do. thing. Yeah. Course of action. Yeah. But then instead of using an EQ to boost it up, I'm literally just going to band pass this really cool distorted, zone of like you know i don't know what the frequency range is yet because i haven't messed with it right. but i was trying to boost around 8k to, or 800 hertz not 8k 800 hertz to one kilohertz mm-hmm. with an eq um just for a little bit it's like that's just a good range it's like after the boxiness but before it gets too high especially for bass mm-hmm. um and so i'm just going to try to push in that distorted band pass um to, yeah audio or big trees affected being right. passed right into right. it a little bit and just try to get some of that and then that's where i would actually use a stereo widener a tiny bit because my normal baseline is already mono and that's always going to sum to mono i would use that and then that's right where the interest point of the baseline is where your ears can really hear it on mm. small speakers yeah and so i'd stereo widen that a little bit cool and uh just to make the f- fatter like image right there only in those certain frequency ranges yeah that's, um, awesome. that's it but this is just uh um the things i think about so like I live this for the most part, yeah. like, you know, I, I'm not producing as much as I should, if I wanted to be like, that's, oh, that's another thing to talk about too. But yeah, mm. I'm definitely not in the studio actually doing it as much as I should, but I definitely le- think about it a lot, you know? And then when I go in, I have a game plan. That's good. Game plans are important, but what do you, what do you want to talk about with producing? What's oh, the thought that came into your that, mind? I was just talking to my friend Morgan about, um, and we both agreed on this is like, I'm aware of that. I'm in the studio like an eighth of the time that producing that I would need to be if I wanted to even have a chance at being like one of these world famous stars. Right. And I just aware of that. And it's my life. I'm not ready to just zone out everything yet. Yeah. And I I like how much I'm doing it right now, but 
am thinking about in this next year, like, cause I'm working a lot in the summertime. I work all the time, mm-hmm. um, doing everything audio and not audio, just building up my nest egg, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so once that's over with, I'm of a lot more time and I'm considering shutting myself down in the studio for a while to really only nice. focus on art. Nice. And, uh, I love the process of producing like I, you know, it's crazy because like I said, that's why it was kind of like a humbling experience for me this last week of having all this gear is they're really two different worlds, man. And like, it doesn't feel like it, you know, it's like we live in an age now to where like 20 years ago, man, like there was a such thing as a recording engineer, a tracking engineer. I mean, people used to get certified in Pro Tools and Pro Tools came out never to touch a compressor plug in just to run software. That's it. Just to set up a session for the tracking engineer who set up the mics, just to send the session off to the mixing engineer who mixed the tracks, the maxing engineer. And it's crazy because it's like we all have these like hybrid custom is like really customized setups now. And it's like, for me, just staring at all the gear, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. This was like the, one of the hardest weeks of my life because it's like, I knew what an API 5500 sound like. And I'm like, I need that on my kick. It's going to make the kick sound so good. And it took everything in my body. Just say, Nope, don't do it. Like just produce the track, like pick another sample, cut some low end out, phase align it, do whatever you have to like make it work or scratch the kick and go to another kick track. So it's like, like it's been nice because producing has nothing to do with plugins, nothing. It has nothing to do with hardware. It has nothing to do with anything. Producing is very basic. It's sound design and it's sample selection arrangement. Exactly. Exactly. Com- Which is like, probably compo- the- I would call, well, okay, put it this way. I would break it down into this. Like it all starts with an idea, right? Like this is my pyramid. Like think of the food pyramid, right? This is my, my Which is music production. Pyra- oh, it's upside down yeah. actually. Yeah. <laughs> it actually should be inverted yeah. 180 degrees. Yeah. It's really funny. So yours is probably the same, but it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do everything backwards, Dom. You yeah. should know that about me by now. Um, so, okay. My pyramid is this at the bottom of the period. It starts with a feeling. Like if you don't have a feeling for what you're going to do, you don't know what you're going to do. Like when I go in the studio, I have some life stuff I'm dealing with. I have a mood that I'm feeling that day. I heard a song that inspired some kind of an emotion in me. And when I get in the studio, I have an idea of an emotion that I want to make a song. So from the emotion, and then it starts at like just finding the basic chord progression. Is it major or minor? That's always where I start. From there, it's okay. What's the melody going to be? And then I write a melody and then there, then I work on drums. So at that point, that's what I would call the composition. Like it goes from an idea and a feeling to a composition. So now I'm like, okay, I have a chord progression. I have a potential melody. I have uh, maybe an envisioning for lyrics, something like that. I have a drum beat that's four on the floor or whatever, just lasting three and a half minutes to get me through it. At that point, it goes to arrangement. Okay, how long is the intro? How long is the verse? How many bars? is the buildup and the drop. How long is the drop? What happens after the drop? That's what I would call the arrangement. Once the composition or the song is there, and then you have your three or four minute arrangement, you're happy with the organization of all the parts, then starts the production. Well, what is my kick sound going to be? How do I want my low end to come across? Like, what is the main purpose of this synth? Do I need to leave a gap for vocals? And if so, what kind of voice am I envisioning in my head? After the production's done, then it gets the mix. After that, it gets the master. So it's like, I think that's the challenge of music producers these days is that music producers don't realize that they're music producers. They're not mixing and mastering engineers. Can you learn mixing and mastering while you're producing? Hell yeah. 
absolutely but it's like you have to like just be proud of the fact that if you're a music producer be proud of the fact that you're a music producer now there's so much pressure on people to be an arranger a composer a mixing engineer a mastering engineer it's like you don't have to do that you know it's like if you just love sound design and you love writing songs then learning mixing plugins really is a waste of your time because there are hundreds, thousands of qualified people that love the shit out of mixing plugins and will mix your track really, really well for you without you having to do that. And Dom said it like a really good point, Dom. You said that you were only in the studio producing an eighth of the time and that shows no, that you're well, well producing. No, I mean, compare, I said that I needed to be in the studio eight times more if right. I wanted to compete Right on the level of like I know some yeah. other guys are. It's that's the same principle. Like yeah. yeah, same same. Yeah. Essentially, you're saying that your production level is is low if you want to be at the level of the productions of the guys that you admire yeah, as being yeah, producers. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like that's my thing here is that you know like it was really refreshing for the first time in two years to not have to worry about mixing at all, not even think about it, you know, and just be like I just get to be a producer this week, and that's fucking awesome because producing is so much fun and it's not as pressured as mixing mixing is like ah oh, damn it i don't like my low end and why isn't my kick hitting and my snare's got too much body in it and my vocal's not cutting like mixing is full of headaches and challenges to overcome and to make things clear production is like let's just have fun let's just smash a bunch of sounds together make shit sound dope i want to be jumping around in the studio and having a good time and it was so cool to get back to that to where it's like it's awesome because i love mixing I love mixing to death. I think it's so much fun to be able to have an EQ or a compressor that can alter the sound of an existing challenge and change the vibration or the energy in the air. That's so cool. But man, producing is the shit. Like if I had to pick one, if somebody came up to me and said, you can only do one thing for the rest of your life in music, what would it be? I would easily pick producing because I just, I like writing songs. I like the journey of going from silence to something that can change somebody's mood in three minutes. Like that's a cool phenomenon. Yeah. And it's funny. You're talking about how like, there's a point like in the arrangements when I don't worry about any sound design, right? Yeah. Like, you're just like kind of throwing stuff in. I use a lot of soft synths for my arrangements cause they're easy. Perfect. And they're just placeholders. Essentially. Yeah. For yeah. the most part, sometimes I end up using them, just yeah. running them out into some things. But uh, yeah, if I, uh, even in the production stage, once I'm done with the, you know, the first in the pyramid, the composing, then I get into the what'd you call it? You could just call it sound design. Yeah. <laughs> yeah whatever. Sound yeah. design. Sound phase. design producing. So if I'm thinking yeah. like that's when I try to mix without mixing. I pick things to where I think they're fitting and I'll use simple during the arrangement or after, no, after the songs so are now, arranged. Yeah. So it's composed and arranged and now you're on to yeah, sound design but, production. Yeah. Okay. So but then I'm still not allowing myself to touch anything unless I brought it in on the way in you right. know like you know affected on the way in right if it's analog but uh yeah if my Sarah like for instance you're saying like i don't have to worry about my snare being too fat like i'm still always worrying about that but i don't fix it with mixing tools i fix it with sample selection precisely and layering yeah and so it's like i like i've been telling chris this for a while um when i pick each step of the process i try to make it to where i'm like wondering how i'm gonna make what i just did better because i feel like i've accomplished like when i'm done arranging 
or doing sound design, I want in my head, at least for like a little bit of a denial period, thinking like this song's done. Like I don't need to do anything else to it because I did a such good job right. sound design. Exactly. Of course it always needs mixing. Of course it always needs mastering. Right. But in the moment, like I want to feel like I'm so accomplished well with just my well sound said. design. And when yeah. I'm done mixing, yeah. at least for a moment until I get the master back, I'm right. like, what the hell? This is way better. How did right. I ever think I was done? Right. But um, same thing. Like I want to be in that, den- like I want to get to an accomplished point of I'm done with the mix like there's no the mastering engineer is going to get this and think oh it doesn't need anything and of course it does right you know just like that accomplishment of not like I guess it's the whole thing is don't ever think you're going to fix it in the next stage right and so at least get to a point where you think you can't fix it in the next stage because it's perfect but then of course you're going to start messing around with it and realize that oh this is actually getting more exciting and fun but then it's that whole enhancing over fixing Mm -hmm. so that's the whole point is next stage should always be for enhancing the beauty that you already did versus fixing the things that you didn't want to focus on in the earlier stage right and that's a really like you take some willpower to force yourself to not start the next stage mm-hmm. until it's time like mm-hmm. you should always have fun each stage should be brilliantly fun because you're enhancing right and it should be easy and be like oh this is already beautiful i can push any frequency i want like i just right. like this one over that one be- the whole thing sounds good though right you don't want some like crappy synth with like all this weird digital distortion if you don't want it and be like oh i'm just gonna high pass filter that out later right or low right. pass filter it out later right you know? right right like, you shouldn't do that no no dom dom brought up some really good points there and it was really funny because like we went for a drive today and dom has like a stereo system in his car that he knows really well and that's like one of my testing grounds not because i know i don't know the system for yeah. shit at all like not i mean pff, i couldn't tell you anything about a mix but i actually last night you know i was really unhappy with my kick and i was really unhappy with my snare the song had come together in the beginning the kick and snare were great and then as the production developed and the sound design developed i realized how weak the kick and the snare were so like took everything in my power not to grab one of my analog eqs or start carving with plugins i'm like nope i need to go back to my samples pick some samples wind up deleting a kick layer layering it with a couple more kicks in this track i have four kick layers going but they sound awesome together i've got like a soft layer a hard layer an upper end layer and then a a low-end 8080 kind of air together. You meet one of them, the kick emphasis goes away, but they're all tuned and aligned to where they sound like they're one kick, which is really cool. But it's like, if I would have been with a mixing mindset or given into that temptation and let go of my discipline, I would have probably fucked that up. And I probably would have been unhappy with the kick by the mastering phase thinking, man, it just doesn't work. But the fact that I took that 45 minutes to hunt through my massive library samples and shoot out like 20 kicks to find the one I wanted, best hour I spent. It just made the track. And as soon as I heard your car, I was like, yes, the kick is hitting how I want it to hit. Tonally, it's not there. EQ, it's not there. But it's cutting in the mix when last night it wasn't. So that was like a huge revelation. Yeah. And like I I used to tell Chris all the time, like I'm just not happy with my kicks ever. And but it was warranted like and I don't I forget what the end of our conversations were back then. But um, I'm glad that I've never been happy because like when I am happy, I'm happy. And I don't pretend like like because I know like he i think you were trying to say that it was something more than um like it was more of like a personal problem versus me knowing like i guess what i was trying to get across is that 
I know when I'm happy. I just haven't reached it in a long time. Right. Like I have been happy with it. Like, cause at that point I'd only released that one track and right. I was really happy just with the way the kick was sitting with the rest of the track. But I hadn't, it's been, took me a ton of time before in my next track, I was actually able to find that same uh, appreciation for a right. kick again. And eventually, like, I just have to, like, it doesn't matter if it takes me a month to find the right kick sample. I just have to take that time. Yeah. Because unless I'm happy with it, it's not, I'm not going to enjoy releasing the track, you know? Right. Totally. So well it's said. like, you just, yeah, stick with it. And then eventually, like, I'm, I'm pretty confident. I mean, I don't know yet because I haven't tried making another song yet after this one, but pretty confident I found a kick sample I like, and I'm just going to abuse the shit out of it. A oh, lot of, do it. A lot Tons of, my, of artists do that. Oh, yeah. yeah. They just, and it's your melodies and stuff. No. Are main, and it's part of your brand too. You know, it's yeah. like, it's just a part of your signature sound. Yeah. I don't see, you don't need, the only time I would say pick it, like I've used a different kick on every track just because I write in so many genres. So it's like, oh, absolutely. you know, with your, a lot of your music is very consistent as it, as a, as it should be no, for your brand. Yeah, Cause I'm you know, so, to, yeah. yeah, no. So I would say, yeah, if you find settings you like kicks and snares, use them, use them profusely. Well, when I do, I don't know, snares are, I can be happy with tons of different snares. I'm yeah. never going to reuse a snare, but, um, if it does, if I do, it's on accident. But I'm never gonna right. just take the same one because I don't I don't have the same problems with snares because kicks gotcha. are so so much of a focus point with EDM. They are. There's so That's much true. of an energy That's source. Like some people have snares, like their signatures is having like little weak things in the background, and all everything else is the synth. Some people love snares right out front, right. and it's like that really like dubstepy like pow yeah. like yeah. you know it's really it's yeah they're just kind of a product of the. Uh, genres environment of course you know all but, music is yeah we gotta kicks, go with the styles. i feel like kicks are super personal like i'm sure snares are i too, agree but yeah I it's agree. like because i'm curious to know how many other people would feel like that put as much thought into a kick drum as we do because i feel like a lot of people just grab a sample or nicky romero's kickstart probably and just like i don't say, know fuck it i'm happy with that I, I, it. I have a weird obsession with like making sure i'm happy with it it's oh like i do too the low end in general oh me too the low yeah. end's critical yeah. yeah and it's uh yeah, it's the I spend so much time trying to. I haven't succeeded to like to at least with my first release. Like I listen to it, I'm like it could be way better in the low end, but I just know for future reference. Like I just scoop too much, basically. Mm -hmm. Like on bigger systems, it sounds fine, but it's just anemic. Yeah, and I mastered. The problem is, is I mastered it myself, and I don't claim to be an amazing mastering engineer. I just do it because I didn't want to pay for it with that track. Right. But, like, well, I mean, why would you? If you're yeah. not super thrilled on the track, yeah. why master it anyways? Yeah, you know, write yeah. another song, get that one mastered. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, for so sure. So that's what I'm doing now. So it's, nice. it's going to be awesome. Nice. But. Right on. Well, we'll end on a note of awesomeness then. Yeah. That sounds like a good place for Jern. Okay, cool. Right on. All right, guys. Until later. Uh, go uh, produce and yeah. don't worry about mixing this week. Yeah. Yeah. Get your shit sounding good. Exactly. Peace out. <laughs> <laughs>